Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. What up, Selena? You sound hungover with those type of bars. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill, and of course, on Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at Miss Selena Hill, and Miss is spelled with an M-S. Uh, also, but let your voice be heard if you guys are just tuning in for the first time. It is a show where we talk about social issues, politics, foreign policy, and we do that all from a millennial, a diverse millennial perspective. Avocado toast and politics is what we're doing, huh? Avocado toast. And politics. Um, How did you not get that? I, I never had avocado toast. <laughs> well, you're a millennial, so you have had avocado toast. You just I like avocado toast, but well, like I ain't paying no eight dollars for it. That's eight dollars. I buy it on my on $8. my. Uh, yeah, I always get it when I'm at work, so my boss pays for it. Just buy avocados and like do. It I'm not. I I've I can eat avocados, but I'm not that big of a fan. But anyway, though, next time you go to brunch, I know what to order, right, guys? I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. So, anyways, guys, don't worry about Selena. Don't worry about Alyssa. It is me, Stanley your favorite person in the whole wide world. I am here for another episode that's action-packed and filled with politics. And if you want to follow me on the social medias, you can at Stan Fritz. That's on Twitter and also on Instagram. On Snapchat, it is Dark Skin Swindle. And if you check soon enough, you can see all the shenanigans that I was into yesterday, including NBA 2K, Bodak Yellow, and lots and lots of alcohol. You're, are you, you're not sick of Bodak Yellow yet? Like, no, the I just sl- played the song. Obvious, no, but I'm like, I hear it like eight times a day, and I'm just like, I love Cardi in the song, but I'm like. It's- oh, so you're going against the Cardi Hive. Is that what it's called? I'm no, not just, against. I'm just saying. Like, Did you just make that up? I, out. I just made that out. So you're against the Cardi Hive, Selena? For, are, hold on. Are you the president of the Cardi Hive? No, I'm secretary. <laughs> anyway, so, Stanley, oh, oh. you are just trying to get me trolled on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm no, not against no, listen, the Cardi. You're not going to get trolled. I'm not against the Cardi Hive. I'm just saying that. Oh, that's sorry. All. We're going to just start oh. telling everybody that Selena doesn't like Beyonce. Then she's oh, really no. going to get trolled on Twitter. Anyways, and that's not true. And that's not true. Um, so my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am your legal correspondent. Yay, legal. Um, and I talk about legal things. I see legal people and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I think that's a line from a movie that happened a long time ago. It is. Um, anyways, uh, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's Alyssa with an I. Uh, or you can find me on uh, Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs, uh, still spelled with an I. Um, or you can leave a comment or a question on the fan page, Politically Preposterous. We'll be taking your questions and comments all day, um, You know, especially your uh, Hillary haterade. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the title of this week's episode is What Had Happened Was, and literally with the hand clap emojis. And we named it that because after Wait, Hillary... Wait, no, no. Did you just what? clap your hands, beloved? Yes, I did, because we're going to talk about what happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton, but we're going to do it from our perspective, which is what... What had happened was. Are so, you okay, Selena? Stan, I'm, like, <laughs> She's having a seizure. <laughs> Stan, I can't describe how we're, like, why we named it What Had Happened Can was. Can we take a minute to talk about Selena with her wavy hair and that what? auntie blouse? <laughs> looking like a Jet Magazine Beauty of the Week. And you, you know how you know Selena got money? I, Look at that chain around her neck. Because you know her neck turns green with fake gold. You know, I'm not going to say oh, anything anyway. about this because then Selena's hive is going to be after me. Yeah, oh, you know Selena has a hive now, too. I don't know the conversation shifted from the black what, had, ha- what had happened was to my wanna, auntie because what had happened was we want to talk about you beloved 
You want to talk about you? And Why look, your hair looks so shiny today? For, because huh? I'm doing an interview afterwards. Should have been wearing less and going out more. <laughs> mm, okay. Any, anyway, guys. So what's far more interesting to me is this book, What Had Happened, where Hillary Clinton blames. Everybody, everyone and anything that you could think of for why she lost in 2016. Including herself. Right. And and she does take some accountability, but then she blames Barack Obama, a journalist. Did everything. you read the book? Look, I read Selena the excerpts. read the book. Then you should stop editorializing because yeah. we did. Yeah, I was like, you're, you're so right. you guys didn't finish it though. So you didn't and read it at all. I read the excerpts. Selena's trying to excerpts. tell you right now what's in a book that she didn't even read, but Stanley yes. and I actually read the book. So if you really want to know what had happened was, it's that Hillary blames a lot of people, including taking responsibility for herself. Um, and I don't really know if blame's the right word because laying out what actually did happen and whether or not those things impacted the election isn't really necessarily the blame game. In some world, we call that the truth. But, you know, but it, it's about perspective. It's definitely about perspective. So we'll delve deep into the book, which we have here. So right. happy Stanley brought it. Later on in the show, we will be talking about Bernie Sanders. Uh, right. Because you can't talk about Hillary without talking about Bernie Sanders and his Medicare for all bill. Um, he has introduced this legislation uh, with 16 other co-sponsors. It's basically single payer. And we'll talk about the Democrats, um, why are they supporting this health care bill? And should we be you know, fighting for this more so than just trying to save the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare? So that's a question that we'll definitely uh, tackle. And then last but not least, Alyssa will be giving us a quickie rant on the latest bipartisan congressional bill that would uh, that attacks Americans with disabilities. Alyssa? Yeah, so um, I'll give you a little bit more about that later on. But basically, you know, access uh, to public accommodations like going to the supermarket or a bar or, you know, anywhere where you and I can easily go um, has long been a struggle for people with disabilities, um, it, you know, people who have seeing eye dogs, people who have wheelchairs. Um, and it used to be that they could easily or pretty easily bring a lawsuit in order to say that this business was not complying with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And uh, those through those lawsuits, they usually were able to gain access. But this new proposal, which Selena mentioned, does have bipartisan support, um, would actually make it much more difficult for people to you know, access those spaces um, and also much more difficult for them to uh, do anything uh, if they are denied access to that space. So we're going to talk about that more later on. I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, and we'll talk about what can be done about it. Selena? Absolutely. Alyssa, you already introduced yourself, right? I Gave did. all your information. Stanley, you did too? Yeah. Okay, good. So, well, you guys can join into this conversation by tweeting at BeHeard underscore radio. We are also on Facebook Live now that Alyssa's back. I, apparently, we can't function on Facebook without Alyssa here. Don't worry. I'm going to teach you how to do that later. <laughs> The Facebook goddess. Basically. And um, you also call in. The number is 212-650-6903. Stay tuned, guys. Oh, 
because my chick is not a Alyssa's fried chicken. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz sitting here with my fancy shirt, but not as fancy as Selena Hill, who was to my left in her Pottery Barn shirt. And of course, there's also Alyssa Fuchs with the snapback pointed back with the Fuchin pink shirt laying on her chest. And let me tell you guys how excited I am today. I am beyond excited because yesterday I spent my day watching the Canelo fight. Canelo should have lost. That was not a draw, by the way. And I also hung out with some good friends somewhere in New York City and had a blast listening to Bodak Yellow and Cole. Oh, then, and you snapped me that. You sent me a snap of oh, you yeah, hanging. Oh, yeah, because the, there were some people there that I know you'd be jealous that I was hanging out with. So you just randomly sent me a snap of you hanging with friends. Yeah, no, no, no. But the, I'll, well, I'll tell you off air. I, I don't want to make it hot. I saw it. Yeah. But anyways, guys, well, I guess Facebook Live will know, so I'll tell everyone else. So I was hanging out with um, some friends from the Justice League. So I was, I was Carmen, Linda, um, Tamika. And we, and Are you friend posting? Are you just, like, na- name no, dropping? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, literally, you're just name dropping. So the point that that's I'm, all that the is. Point, the reason I'm doing that is because every time I tell Selena I hang out with them, she gets super jealous. So I sent her a snap to make fun of her because I know she'd be mad, and of course she was. But anyways, that is not what I'm excited about. I saw a musical this week, guys. It was called The Waitress, and it was amazing. And you know what? I'm not usually one to go to Broadway plays or musicals, but a good friend told me it was a good way to kind of decompress. Oh, Do you know okay. who that good friend is? Hillary Clinton. That's right. In her book, What Happened, she talked about the ways that she had to help get over the fact that she lost to a pile of dirty clothes with condoms for eyes named Donald Trump. And she said, one of the things that I did was I went to musicals. Well, that's not all she talked about in this book, and that's not all we're going to talk about on this segment. So in this conversation, we are going to talk about Hillary Clinton's book. If you're on Facebook Live, you can see what happened, what she said about the election, who she thought was to blame for the loss of the election, what she has done to get over it, and what she's going to do next. And along with those things, we're going to be talking about all the ways that the Bernie Bros on my Facebook page and all the people who have aggressive hatred for Hillary Clinton have reacted, along with the 17 people who absolutely love Hillary Clinton. You Are know, you one of them? No. Okay. So, I think there's a lot more than 17 people that love no, Hillary about Clinton. 60, 64 about 17 million. million. Yeah. A little more than that, too. But anyways, guys, this is a really cool opportunity to talk about Hillary's book. So Hillary's book is the first book to come out from a politician or elected official directly impacted by the election. And what I mean by that is that like someone that ran for office or was the current president. Hillary's book is the first one here. We'll have Obama's, Barack Obama's later on, probably 2018, and Michelle Obama's after that. But Hillary, she was one of the candidates that, even though she was the most qualified person we've probably had run for office since the first George Bush, I'm not saying that over policy, but as far as like background and experience, she had a lot of people that didn't like her. And when this book was close to coming out, a few excerpts came out in which the excerpts expressed frustration at Bernie Sanders and saying that Bernie Sanders had no interest in being loyal to, to the Democratic Party because he was not a Democrat. There was moments in the excerpts when Hillary Clinton felt that James Comey played a big part in her losing the election. And because people did not read the book and did not plan to read the book, but saw those excerpts like Selena did, they decided they knew everything that Hillary Clinton was talking about. But we actually, have do, we actually do have two people in this room who have read this book, so I want to start there. Um, I'm going to jump to Alyssa first. and be Alyssa, you started reading this book. You're about halfway through, as am I. What are your thoughts so far on this book? 
I actually think the book is very good, um, and I think it's interesting to read the book from her perspective and to get her perspective um, on what she went through and what the campaign was like. And, you know, people want to take issue with some of the things in the book, but at the end of the day, um, you know, she's entitled to her opinion about what happened. And, you know, like nobody really can take that away from her. Sure, there's the objective facts about what happened, and there's not just one factor, you know, which is like I hate when people couch it in just one factor. So there are many different factors. She discusses some of them. Um, but, you know, she's also allowed to come up with her own opinion. And like part of the thing that I think has bothered me in this is that a lot of the people that seem to be saying that she should shut up are men. And it's like and they're also by doing that, um, one, it's sexist to tell her to shut up because you don't want to hear what she has to say. If you don't want to hear what she has to say, then don't read the book. But also, like, don't speculate about what's in the book or pretend that you know just because you read an excerpt if, unless you read the whole book, number one. And number two, don't discount the people that really do like Hillary Clinton, that really do want to read the book, that want to hear what she has to say, and they care about her opinion about why she lost the election. Um, you know, because it's not just one factor. Um, and I think that's uh, what the book does a good job of addressing. So, yeah, the book addresses a lot, a lot of things, um, particularly the main point of why she lost the election. But a lot of people are saying that they don't want to hear this, that Hillary needs to shut up. Selena, I'm, I'm sure you've been hearing some of this stuff, too. And if you haven't, what have you been hearing about the book? Well, in full disclosure, I have not read the book. Yes, we know. <laughs> so just let everybody know that. But um, I've been reading commentary about the book. Um, so FYI, um, I haven't heard too much negativity about like people just bashing her for coming out with the book i will say there has been criticism like there have been some democrats who said like putting out this book now and rehashing the 2016 election is not really helping democrats move forward because it's not unifying the party in fact because she does call out bernie sanders for not being uh for not gracefully bowing down in defeat after she defeated him in the in the primary like you know she talks about things like this and people are saying it's divisive now what she has said in interviews is read the book because it really is about perspective that's how yeah. she's framing it in the um in the press in the in the media rounds that she's making now doing all these interviews that's what she's saying so just to give you guys a quick like, like kind of like understanding of who Hillary Clinton is in 2008, when Barack Obama washed her in the primary elections, actually he didn't. He won by um, delegate votes, but he, they were very close in popular votes. But after she lost that election, once Obama won and he, he won the general election, Hillary Clinton took three months and she went off the grid and went through every single email, every single press release, every single memo from that campaign to understand what went wrong what she could have done differently, and how she got there. She did that kind of exhaustive research. So that's the kind of person we're talking about when we're looking at assessing. Yes, Selena? Yeah, so, I mean, keeping that in mind, how calculated and measured she has, she was going into 2016, that says a lot. And mm -hmm. what I will say for those people who may be thinking about running for a political, political election I will say read this book because it shows that you could be extremely calculated, measured, well-researched, and experienced and still lose. And she talks about a number of mistakes that she made in the book, excuse me, during the election. And I think that uh, moving forward, it's, a, it's it's just like lessons learned. But th that's a point that I want to get to. Like she, she, Because the reason I, I've laid that out, the fact that she's so calculated and exhaustive in her research about what she did wrong it's a kind of like couch that in the fact that this is the kind of person that's coming back and telling us what they think went wrong in this election. She's not just talking from emotion. But 
she lays out a lot of bad actors in this. And I want to know from you guys, do you think she has a legit point? I want to jump to Alyssa first because I know you had your hand raised earlier, Alyssa. Yeah, no, I, I do think she has a legit point. I don't think that, you know, for what it's for, for what it's worth, yeah, people can point to her and say that she was a bad candidate, that anybody should have beat Donald Trump, especially her. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I do think that she has some legitimate points. We are now finding out the extent, even just today, um, or just over the past couple of days, we found out new information about the extent of the Russian interference into the election for people to discount that as if it didn't have any effect at all is wrong. Um, you know, the fact is, is we don't know and we can sit here and speculate till the day is long and the cows come home. But we don't know whether or not she would have won if it wasn't for the Russian interference in the election. Number two, the James Comey announcement that comes just days before the election. If you look at the polling leading into the election, she looks like she has the election in the bag. And then the James Comey thing happens, um, you know, and that changed a lot of people's minds. We know that. It's an objective fact. They spoke to people that were on the fence about whether or not they were going to vote for Hillary that Jen decided not to, or even if they weren't going to change their vote and vote for Trump, decided not to turn out and vote because of the James Comey announcement. So, like, I think the left doesn't really do themselves or does themselves a disservice um, by just trying to paint her just as a bad candidate and saying, oh, well, she was a bad candidate. Anybody should have beat Donald Trump. She should have won the election. Um, and by not taking into account that there were other factors, um, some of which she probably could have controlled and others which she couldn't, that came into play. Because I think at the end of the day, it's not just one thing. You can't just point to her and be like, oh, Hillary was a bad candidate. That's why she lost. End of the story. This politics. Politics is a lot more complex than that. Selena? No, no. Alyssa is right. And she does point to a lot of things. In fact, she says, and I quote, the determining factor was the intervention by Comey on October 28th. But for that intervention, I would have won. So that she makes that clear as day. And she speak. I think what she's doing in this book is just speaking very blatantly and directly about all these different factors, things we've known, but things I think that she never said as straightforwardly. She also talks about like Bernie Sanders, which Stanley mentioned, WikiLeaks, um, the debate question. She mm -hmm. says, uh, and I quote, you know, um, she says she was not asked about how candidates plan to create jobs. She said, and I quote, I was waiting for the moment when one of the people asking the questions would have said, well, so, well, so exactly how are you going to create more jobs? So basically she's just saying that like during the debate questions, they put journalists and the media put so much focus on her quote unquote email scandal that they really weren't asking tough questions about how. Um, the candidates proposed to move this country forward. And she also says that journalists put, uh, which is true, they put a lot of focus on the reality show that Donald Trump was putting on simply because it was getting more viewership. So she lays all of these things out. But the question that I have is, does she ever in this book, for the people who've read it or are almost done with it, does she say, you know what, I was really unpopular? So I don't know. She says I was really unpopular. Does she, does she so admit that? That she so, was unpopular. Okay, so I don't think that she says she was very unpopular. I don't think she is that unpopular. Yeah, no, but, but she was running. Those two candidates were the most unpopular candidates we've ever seen run yeah, for president. Yeah, but then, like, you, you, you're ignoring a whole bunch of factors. Like, there was an entire right-wing right, right wing machine built up just to go against her since 1992. So, of course, she was unpopular for those reasons. But I think the point that she makes is that, so a really good point that I was hoping to wait to like the next part of the segment to talk about, but I'll bring it up here. And she says during the primary election, she was running as someone who thought that Obama had done a good job and there was space for improvement and she would be that improvement. 
Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders was saying everything was messed up. So for a big portion of the primary, she spent literally having to defend Obama's record, which I think is actually true, Alyssa. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with that. I, I think she did do that. And I think that, you know, like she ran the kind of campaign that you would expect somebody to run. I mean, they used the data. They, you know, they, they built a coalition that was largely based on the Obama for America coalition that had had success in two previous elections. If Don't forget, when she left becoming secretary, when she left being secretary of state in, uh, and she finished her term doing that, her approval ratings were extremely high. 64 like, percent, I think. Yeah, 60 yep. plus percent. About 69. Um, you know, and so, and like, I think... There's a obviously there's a lot in play, um, but like I will discount the 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 idea that she never takes responsibility anywhere in the book about anything that happened. That's not true. Anybody who says that either hasn't read the book or I don't know they like you know aren't paying attention and don't know how to read properly because she can point to these other factors and how they impacted the election and she's right about some of them and maybe she's not so right about others. But at the end of the day, um, it's not wrong to say that these things played a role. Um, and it's also wrong to say that she doesn't take responsibility in the book for losing because she does. She definitely accepts that there was places uh, where she could have done better, things that she should have said or done or not said or not done. Um, but she also acknowledges that the dynamic of this election was different than ever before. And it was. So we do have a caller on the line. I think that when we, we're going to take the caller, we're going to go on a break. When we come back, we're just going to argue because that's what it feels like we need to do in here. Um, so Charles Clymer, let your voice be heard. Hey, folks. How are you doing this morning? Hey, hey good morning. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, so I've only been listening for the last three or four minutes since uh, Stanley tagged me in this. But I just wanted to say a few quick things. Um, number one, the biggest criticism I've seen in this book is that Hillary Clinton hasn't taken responsibility. And in fact, she's taken responsibility, she took responsibility something like 35 times in the book. 35 times she'd been at fault to something. Uh, and, I mean, four or five times in the first 100 pages, she just basically, she blatantly says, you know, this is on me. I was the candidate and I lost. Um, and so I think it's perfectly fine for her to also look at the other uh, aspects of this, because even if it weren't for Russia, it would have been the FBI. Uh, James Comey's uh, announcement, you know, 10 days before the election, even if it wasn't that, it would have been uh, the sexist media narrative. I mean, the media treated Hillary Clinton completely different than it treated Donald Trump. I mean, it was night and day. You know, she had the whole uh, uh, weird health issue on the night, uh, on the, at the uh, site of the 9-11 speech. Meanwhile, Trump has uh, literally forged his medical physical, and the media ignored it, just completely ignored it. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, we're looking at two different narratives here, um, and somehow Hillary Clinton is raked over the coals for sins by her male colleagues that are readily forgiven and forgotten by not only the media but the American public, and it does, just doesn't seem fair to me at all. Thank you so much for those comments, Charles. Alyssa, I know you had one quick thing Yeah, to say I mean, listen, just break. to add to that, we're literally talking about a man who said that, you know, we should grab him by the P-U-S-S-Y. So, uh, you know, like this is the dynamic. Hillary talked about policy and politics, and we had the uh, P-U-S-S-Y grabber get elected. So, you know. America. So, guys, we're going on a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to argue about this because it sounds like it could be fun. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard.
So you like your music sometimes sweet and sometimes hot. Jazz, that is. Sweet jazz from Sugar Hill. Every Sunday from 8 p.m. until 10. Lamont's Jazz Break at 8, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem, where jazz lives. Song, Stanley, wrong song, why are you always singing about Henny? Because I had a lot of Henny yesterday, <laughs> and I am so excited Stanley, because I am Stanley, you got a problem you want to tell us about? I know, right? Yes. It sounds like you have a problem. I do have a problem. I have a weight problem. I can't wait to eat. Anyways, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. You <laughs> just called yourself overweight. No, I didn't. I said I can't wait to eat. You called me overweight, <laughs> Selena. <laughs> Speaking of, let me tell you what's... Before we go back to this segment, let me tell you what Selena did. Selena bought me a t-shirt, and she said, Stanley, this is just for you. I even called Marilyn to make sure I had your right shirt size. Marilyn told her I wear extra large. Do you know what Selena brought me? A 4XL shirt. I didn't think it would fit the extra large. Guilty. Mm-hmm. You are guilty. But you see, Selena <laughs> would at least admit that she did something wrong. That wasn't enough for a lot of Bernie bros and people who seemingly magically hate Hillary Clinton. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, let me introduce myself, guys. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about Hillary Clinton's new book, What Happened, where she rehashes the election, talks about her pain, and her love for NCIS Hawaii? That wasn't even the best one, Hillary. What are you doing? Anyways, guys, when we walked away from this segment, Charles had pretty much dropped the mic on all the reasons that Hillary Clinton should not be getting so much grief for what she did or did not do in the election. And Alyssa mentioned that Donald, bag of dirty clothes, condom for eyes, Trump was the person that said that he would grab women by the vagina and there was nothing they could do about it. But now it's time to talk about the main event, Bernie I never wear iron suit Sanders. Bernie Sanders was the political insurgent coming in from the left side. And he was very popular, especially to young people, because he promised things like universal health care, free college tuition, and, of course, an end to the corporations being invested in the political process in a way that makes it difficult or impossible for regular working class people to be engaged. Hillary Clinton beat him by over 4 million votes, but there were still to this day arguments that apparently the DNC helped her steal the election and that Bernie should have won that. Bernie, in his to his credit, did eventually come out in support of Hillary Clinton, but Hillary says in her book that she was hurt by his lack of enthusiasm and even apprehension to reel his own people together to support to support her. And she felt that Bernie was not a good sport. And she said when she lost to Obama in a very tough 2008 primary, and I'll tell you, that was a very tough 2008 primary. I thought that those two would never be, even be in the same room together, let alone work together. She sucked it up, and she went and supported him, went into the field for him. She says that he did not do the same thing. What do you guys think about this? Well, to to be fair, like, I understand um, Hillary's um, sentiment around Bernie Sanders and the way he conceded because she did make 
a really very diplomatic effort to concede and to get her base to vote for uh, Barack Obama in 2008. So I understand where she's coming from. But I think Bernie Sanders at that time felt very hurt by the DNC, who we all believed at that time was working against him and working against Hil- working for Hillary Clinton. I did not think so, that. So, well, a, a lot of people did, Stanley. So I think that... And even if they were, that's their right. But, but, but what I'm saying is that he did not think... Why should Bernie Sanders play fair when he has the Democratic establishment not playing fair for him. Because he's independent and the Democratic establishment is going to support the Democrat. I, but- I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm just trying to say that like that could have been one of the reasons why he's like, you know what? I'm not going to play this game. I understand how politics work with the two-party system, but I think that this movement and this momentum that I have is oh, it not overshadows, but it's it's stronger than the politics that are being played here, and I'm going to keep the momentum going. But so. he got destroyed in the South, and he got washed by 15 points in New York, and it was over. And then he kept the election going for all 50 states when he didn't really need to. And I understand you wanted to make sure like, you keep the most amount of power going to the convention as possible. But once he got there, he still seemed apprehensive to support her. Alyssa? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll split the difference because, you know, uh, on some level, I agree with you, um, you know, that like when he knew that he wasn't going to get the nomination, he should have dropped. On another level, I sort of agree that like, you know, he deserved the right to go through the process in all 50 states, um, you know, and to basically, uh, you know, accrue as many votes as he wanted to. That said, you know, like, here's the thing. There are certain people that supported Bernie um, and I supported Bernie, but I don't fall into this category that we're never, ever, ever going to support Hillary Clinton, period. That even whether, you know, you know, even though Bernie came out and told them to support her, you know, they were never going to do it. They were never going to get behind her, regardless of what happened, regardless of what Bernie said to them. Um, And so those people, I don't think, is who we're really talking about, because those are people that, like, they're not Democrats. They are from the left. They supported Bernie. They were never going to listen to Bernie and get behind her. But I do think that there's a certain amount to be said about, had he maybe dropped out early, that there's a whole different group of people, people that are not in that first group of, I'm never going to support her, that may have been more inclined to support her had Bernie, you know, given her the platform a little bit sooner. That said, you know, just I also don't think that it's necessary that he that he had to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like he had every right to stay in the contest till the end. um, And and that's what he did. So what about afterwards in the conventions at the convention, though, because he didn't seem he never seemed like a very excited or enthusiastic supporter of Hillary. And by the way, guys, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Alyssa, before you go, I want to get Selena back into the conversation. So my question for you was, so maybe he wasn't enthusiastic during the primary, but after he dropped out, did he ever seem like he really put 100% support behind Hillary? I, I mean, uh- I don't know what was in Bernie's heart and mind. I will say he didn't look excited, <laughs> to um, to say the least. Um, and I think that his supporters were definitely pushing him not to go that route anyway. Like, they were, they were all for Bernie. And I think that because they weren't going to vote for Hillary anyway, maybe he fed off of that momentum. Maybe he was thinking about his future political aspirations and what made the most sense for him. Again, I don't think, like, Bernie, obviously he's a politician, but I don't think that he really wanted to get into the, the way the politics were being played at that time. I think he was mostly thinking about himself. 
mm-hmm. um, himself as an independent and himself as a leader of a new revolutionary type of movement. But where's the revolutionary type of movement? All right, I'm not, you know what, forget my Bernie shade. Guys, we do have a caller on the line. We have Charles Clymer back on. He's ready to cook for Hillary. Charles, let your voice be heard. Hey, um, so a few quick things. Um, I want to, you know, do a disclaimer. I, when Bernie first got in the primary, I thought it was great. Um, now, I was 100% for Hillary at the time, and you know I still am, but I thought it would be good to have a socialist candidate kind of talk about issues that need to be talked about, et cetera. Um, but as the primary wore on and as the general election wore on, it was pretty clear to me that the more research I did, the more I found that Bernie is not who he says he is, because he's not. Um, if you look at Bernie's record in the Senate, you'll see that his uh, work on financial reform, for example, like keeping banks accountable, he didn't get interested in that until, God, I think 2015. Uh, so he was in the Senate for years before he actually started getting into that stuff. Um, uh, there are other things. I mean, you just look at you just look at so many issues that he worked on, um, and it, it seems like he just wasn't there at all um, before the presidential campaign, and he, was, he seemed very unprepared. Um, and even after that, I mean, I mean, you know, even after the election, all of this sniping he's done over the last seven or eight months, it's just petty. It is so damn petty. And I, I you know, my my message to Bernie supporters is that, you know, I want you all to come out and work with us and, and you know, and we'll follow your lead too on things that you clearly know more about. Um, but you're going to have to work with us. Charles, thank you so much for that. So my question, Selena, is do you agree with Charles' analysis that, Bernie, like at least the second, like during the primary, it really got petty on his side. Um, <clears throat> I can see what Charles is saying, like, and I can't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with it because I feel like no candidate is perfect. I think that Bernie made a number of missteps himself. Mm-hmm. I think that if he wrote a book, it would be what happened to him as well. So mm-hmm. I, I, I can say that that was a fair assessment. Well, yeah, no. So a few things here. Um, number one, I, I actually wasn't living in the country in 2008 during the primary between Obama and Hillary. Um, so I missed a lot of it. And what I did see, I sort of was getting from an outsider perspective because I was living abroad in Europe. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand, though, it's very, very, very contentious and probably even more contentious than the Hillary Bernie uh, race yeah. um, to the point where, like, there was a lot of mudslinging. And yet at the end, uh, even following this very contentious primary race, Hillary and Obama figured out a way to come together and, you know, after Obama was elected, she became Secretary of State. They sorted out whatever their differences were, but they were able to trickle that down to some of their supporters. For some reason, I and like I said, I like Bernie. I voted for Bernie in the primary. I voted for Hillary in the in the general election, um, for some reason, it feels like Bernie was not able to sort of call his own supporters. He could get up there and he could tell them, you should support Hillary. You know, Trump's very dangerous. We don't want him in the White House. Um, you know, you should get behind her. I know we haven't always agreed on everything, but here's why you should support her. But he wasn't like able to call his supporters in in the way that Hillary was able to do so with her supporters in supporting Barack Obama back in 2008. And I think I don't know if that's necessary a the fault of Bernie, because I know he tried. Um, but I also think it has to do with the fact that a lot of people who came out and supported Bernie weren't Democrats to begin with. I would push back on that a little bit, Alyssa. I think that, like, that's a, that's a, a portion of it. But also, while he was running against her, he started off, like, being very honorable and, like, you know, if she wins, she'll be a great candidate. And then all of a sudden, when, you know, the stakes got higher, 
when people were making all this noise about the email scandal, which wasn't a real thing, it isn't that he necessarily twisted the knife, but he didn't stop others from doing it. When people were talking about all these crazy conspiracy theories, he didn't necessarily twist the knife, but he kind of let he, his silence was just as loud. So then that encourages people. So now all of a sudden, these people have all these bad feelings about Hillary, and he's telling them to support her. But they're like, but what about all this crazy stuff we heard about her? Bernie Sanders is also the one who said in the middle of a debate, no one cares about the damn emails. He said right. that's, yes, in the beginning, the first. The oh, that was the number, that's the first Yes, debate. later on, he was one of the people pushing the email narrative and his surrogates were as well. And it might have been, at that time, it might have been a good political strategy. Yes, I'm not saying so, it wasn't. So, but like, you know, I don't fault him. I don't blame him. Um, we do have a comment on Facebook. Uh, Pascal, forgive me, I'm going to butcher her last name. It's uh, Legnara, I think. And she says, she talks about uh, Hillary Clinton's popularity. She says, that's the thing. She is popular or else she wouldn't be discussed or even mentioned by millions, including the president of the United States, who posted yet another disturbing tweet about her earlier this morning. But when thousands of your private emails are stolen and used against you and distributed to millions, along with fake news stories about you operating a child sex ring, your reputation and popularity cannot be uh, significantly, I think, I think you're saying, I think she's saying your uh, popularity will be significantly tainted. And those are all great points and factors. Thank you, Pascal, for leaving that. I also wanted to uh, point out that besides the negativity and the scandals and the agenda, the anti-Clinton agenda that has been pushing for decades, uh, I think, Another thing we have to look at is the message that Hillary Clinton was pushing. It was more so pragmatic, very practical, very realistic, whereas Bernie Sanders and the person that won the election, Donald Trump, were extremely populist. And I think that because they were saying things that like like Bernie Sanders was like, you know, we can push for free college for all. We can push for single payer. Hillary Clinton was almost like, well, well, that's not she she knew that wasn't in her mind it wasn't realistic. She calls it a pony. She was like, "Look, how are we going to do that? We need to break it down like this." I think that during the election, people just wanted to hear, "How are you going to make my life stronger?" They weren't they really did not want to hear Hillary break down why we need to do things incrementally in order to make change. But that's not even what she was doing. Go ahead, listen. Right. I, I mean, mean, listen, I feel like this election was really more based on feelings than it was based on facts. Is what it comes down to because she could stand up there and give you the facts and even if it's you It's always based on feelings. Right. I mean, it is always based on feelings, but more so this time around than ever before in some ways. I mean, literally, uh, you you gave sort of the example, which is nobody could nail Donald Trump down to any policy proposals right. the entire time. Um, you know, and yet Hillary had literally written a book full of policy proposals that nobody wanted to hear for some reason. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's definitely a lot of things playing a role. But to say that she doesn't take responsibility for the loss is wrong. You know, I think it's it does. We do ourselves a disservice to not recognize the role that other things played in this election, like the Russian interference, like sexism. Yeah. Um, you know, there's many like, you know, like income inequality and just the role that I mean, for better or for worse. And we may not disagree with this here. We've talked about this at length, the, the, the role that white people feel or play in this kind of thing in terms of how they feel about how they're being treated. I mean, we can all sit here and we have 
Cavs out here and talked about how like white privilege really is a thing and white people are not being systemically discriminated against in the way that uh, people of color in this country are. But yet when you look at the perceptions of the way white people think that they're being treated um, and that informs the way they vote like that then becomes a factor and the sexism plays into that factor as well. So like for people to say that her discussing these things is, you know, taking blame away from herself. I just don't think that's correct. These are, you know, you can take responsibility for something and also point to several different factors that played a role. And that doesn't mean that you're thwarting responsibility onto those other things necessarily. Hillary Clinton was, she had some pretty big policy ideas, not as big as Bernie Sanders, because maybe she was too grounded in real life and maybe she should have been more visionary. But Bernie literally could not even explain how he would pay for universal health care or college. Which we're going to talk about in the next segment. Actually, we are. And then in his Daily News um, editorial board interview, he couldn't even explain how he was going to clean up the big banks. He couldn't do it. So, you know, like all this this, this weird criticism that gets thrown at Hillary's way about, you know, she didn't have like a, a big vision or she didn't really talk about solutions is just not true. And, and it's frustrating to me, but like you know, we, we are coming to a point where we gotta wrap up. So I want to get to your last your, your last statement in. Well, I want to say this that no, Hillary Clinton presented solutions. She even broke them down and talked about how they can be done incrementally. What she failed to do was to be aspirational. What Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Barack Obama all did, they were extremely aspirational in their message, in their decorum, and in their hopeful packaging. And you're like Alyssa said, this is about feelings. It's also a lot about marketing. And I think that Hillary Clinton not really connecting with uh, different demographics, mm-hmm. and then you having these two populists on one side, on each side, saying, "Hey, I'm going to make the country." A hundred percent different. I can't explain how, but I am. That's well, all people heard. Well, that's a good point, Selena, and that's exactly what Hillary said in her book. Exactly, and, and so, I'm glad she pointed that out. Yeah. So that so she's not. So I go back to the f- first question we had in the segment. Like, is she wrong to point those things out when we just I, argued for about like ten no, minutes about it? I, I never disagree. There's a lot of pushback about it. People are telling her to be quiet. People are telling her to take accountability. But you, we just argued in here. And right, and most point. of those people who are saying that didn't actually read the book or haven't actually read the, read the book yet. I was having this conversation yesterday over brunch with a friend of mine, and he was saying, like, oh, well, she doesn't take responsibility for losing the election. And I was like, well, actually, she does. You know, you should read the book. Um, and then he said, oh, no, I don't want to read the book. And I was like, well, why don't you want to read the book? And he's like, well, I don't care what she says. I'm like, okay, well, then how can you say that she didn't take responsibility if you didn't actually read what she says? And so now this is what I—, I I challenge people, which is, you know what? I don't agree with anything Hitler says. Um, and I'm Jewish, but I've read Mein Kampf. I don't agree necessarily with everything that Marx said, but I've read, you know, Marx's book. I don't necessarily agree with everything Bill O'Reilly says, but guess what? I've read one of Bill O'Reilly's books. And so what I will say to you is, you know, have a little bit more of an open mind. You may not agree with everything that Hillary has to say in this book, but you know what? You should still, that doesn't mean you shouldn't read the book, and that definitely doesn't mean that you should speculate about what she's saying in the book when you haven't actually read the book yourself. Yeah, that's kind of silly, and by kind of, I mean extremely silly. We do have a caller on the line now. This is Pascal. Pascal, let your voice be heard. Hi. Good morning, guys. Morning. Good morning. Love the show. First time watching. Um, I just want to make a point that I think um, it's kind of been generally um, not looked at just uh, everywhere, and that is that, you know, with the whole uh, people looking at Hillary's wanting her to take blame or responsibility, judging that, I feel like we're acting as though 
this election took place on another planet or another country. Every single one of us, whether you're a politician, whether you are the media, whether you are a voter, non-voter, we participated in some way in last year's mess. And it just seems as though we, the people, and even the media, we're like separating ourselves from it as if we had no involvement in it. And instead of even listening to what happened, looking at it to you know gain some lessons from, we're we're critiquing how much blame one opponent, one one candidate in it is taking. So I think that's something that we're we're kind of missing. We we get involved in the politics like every four years or maybe every two, and when we do, it's it's never a we are a part of this process. Also, it's always a sense of let's criticize why is this all we have why is this all this person is doing but what are we i mean half the country didn't even vote so i think that that's a, a point that a lot of uh i don't see that being discussed a lot but we, this was our election and we had just as much of a part to do with what happened last year whether you're in the audience or you were one of the the, the you're directing the circus or if you were one of the clowns in it like we all participated in it Wow, Pascal, thank you so much for that. I think that's a really good way to kind of shift towards closing the show out. We all had a role to play in this. Um, it's funny because on the call, we promised each other we would not turn this into a rehashing of the 2016 presidential election, and at least a quarter of it has been a rehashing of the 2016 presidential election, which tells me something very interesting. is that, like, we're just we're not over it. And if we're not over it, why would the person who probably had, like, was on the other side of the biggest election day um upset in u.s history why would she be over it and if she's not over it and we can believe that why can't she take time to put pen to paper and talk about like where she was how she felt and what she think went wrong so listen i know a lot of people have a lot of feelings about hillary clinton and i know that with those feelings they you know they think that it gives them the right to govern or decide what she should or should not be doing you know in in the american process and what that tells them is that they can they they can tell her not to be involved politically. They can tell her not to talk about or share her story. They can tell her that it is all her fault. But like Pascal said, it's not just all Hillary's fault. We played a role in this. The emails played a role in this. James Comey played a role in this. Everyone played a role in this. And what I'm interested in knowing moving forward is what we can do different and what we have learned. And if I can get that from the horse's mouth, then I'm going to be very happy. And if that, that horse's mouth is going to say that it was sexism, that it was Russia, that it was Comey, that it was Bernie being ridiculous at times, that it was Bernie bros, I'm going to take a word for it. And if you don't want to, you don't have to, but that doesn't mean you get to silence her. But with that being said, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be the news roundup where we talk about our favorite news stories throughout the week and hopefully not the 2016 elections. We are back on Let Your Voice <laughs> Be Heard. Nobody else here cares. No, nobody else watched this. Didn't you didn't watch the fight? No, I, I only could, watched the Mayweather fight. I could have seen um, that good stream. Um, no, that's all right. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm just not into boxing like that. Um, so I, I just wanted to give you a quick Trump golf update. Uh, today is the 61st day that Donald Trump is spending at a golf course, and the 78th day um, that he's spending at one of his properties as president. Normally, I wouldn't make a big deal about this, but since conservatives wanted to count literally every waking second that Obama played golf, and Trump has far exceeded the number of minutes that Obama has played golf in his first year already uh, in these first six months, I think it's relevant that we point out that he is golfing again today. Yeah, and not to mention how much that costs taxpayers, the fact that he has to travel with 
uh, security because he's the president now. That is costing us. Didn't Secret Service run out of money? Yeah, they did. Like, Damn. I was like a few weeks ago. Damn, homie. It's because of Trump. Under Barack, you was the man, homie. Yeah, man. You see, this is what happens when you try to be petty. So, guys, even though these people claim they don't care, I want to talk about the fight last night. Canelo oh, okay. versus 3G. Did you guys watch the fight? Anybody watch I the fight? I missed no. it. No. So, I watched the I fight. I went to the baseball game. Anyways, now nah, I I missed the baseball game yesterday. But anyways, I watched the fight, and let me tell your you, your baseball team's eliminated. What are you want, talking let's about? Not reflect, let's not reflect on the past, okay? Listen, the New York Mets are in transition right now, okay? And, transition. Yes, that's trans- what they're calling from that good, these days. From good to bad. Anyways, three G and Canelo fought. It was a good fight. If you saw the fight, leave a comment for us on Facebook about what you thought or on Twitter because I definitely want to hear your thoughts. But in other news, NBA Two K eighteen came out on Thursday. And guys, let me tell you, I went to the GameStop on 125th um, by the Apollo. That GameStop smelled like depression and no girlfriends. It smelled oh so, God. it was packed and it smelled and that's, so bad. But why were you there? Because I had to pick up the game. Well, hold on. Is this the reason why girlfriends are going to be ignored all across the country now? Oh, I've already got yelled at twice. <laughs> yes. For ignoring your girlfriend. I'm not ignoring her as much as I'm trying to make sure my player gets picked up by the Knicks. And Marilyn <laughs> keeps getting in my way when I have to beat Carmelo. <laughs> if I don't beat Carmelo, I don't get signed. And no one respects that, okay? Sounds like a personal problem. It is not a personal problem. NBA 2K18, highlight me. My gamer tag is, what is my gamer tag? Nobody oh, cares. Let's show XOE. Thank you. Well, all right. So uh, speaking of some other news, because this is the news roundup where we talk about the news that excites us, like Stanley talked about uh, 2K18 that just came out, and also the news that depress us, depresses us and infuriates us. And speaking of that, um, so there have been ongoing protests in St. Louis for the past, uh, since Friday, when a white officer was acquitted for sh- uh, shooting and killing a young um black man during a traffic stop now this happened in 2011 and apparently the reason why there's so much um protests uh, around this uh, particular trial is because the officer literally planted a gun in that per in that uh victim's car like there was he's on video planting the gun apparently the officer's dna was on the gun not the victim and he still walks off and then and then on on, on top of that they're saying that it may have even been a premeditated a premeditated murder. Because, he said on camera, I'm going to effing kill this guy. Yeah, no, he was like, we need to kill this MFR. Thank so, you. So basically, it's like you can have all of this evidence planted against a killer, but if that killer is white, male, and a cop, and the victim is black, and a, then that's it. It, we, this is a broken record. We've had millions of shows about this we to did. the point that when a person gets killed by a cop, we just don't even want to talk about it as a full segment anymore. The police need to be held accountable. You cannot keep... So this, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. I'm sorry, Professor Harden, but you cannot keep having these cops shoot unarmed people and then those cops get off and then people from those police departments and district attorney's offices come on live television and disparage the people who were killed and disparage protesters. You keep doing that, something is going to give. And it's not going to be a very good give. Right. I mean, listen, here's the thing. I actually don't know that much about this case. But, you know, I can tell you from my work uh, in this area of law is that, you know, these cases, at least from a civil rights perspective, are very difficult. But from a criminal court perspective and a prosecution perspective, 
these cases shouldn't be nearly as difficult as they seem to always pan out to be. I mean, if you had, for example, a black man caught on video yelling that he was going to effing kill somebody, and then five minutes later, that person was shot and killed. And, you know, to add insult to injury, let's just say the victim in that situation is white, then I can almost guarantee you that a prosecutor is going to get a conviction. Um, So, you know, obviously there is something going on when you look at this situation and you look at all the factors um, in this case. And of course, I don't know, like I said, I'm not that familiar with this specific case, so I don't know what the actual defense was uh, that was used. I presume that the defense was the defense that is always used when cops kill people, which is, I feared for my life. Um, I also do not know what the makeup or composition of the jury is. Um, I would be interested to know that before I speak on this further. Um, But even without knowing the facts, what I can say is this is just another example of the way that systemic racism is pervasive in our criminal justice system. Um, And it doesn't just explain why you have so many black and brown people being stopped by the the police. Obviously, that is one uh, thing, but it also helps to explain why it is uh, that it seems white police officers are not held accountable. Um, There was a meme that went around a while back, um, and it basically said something along the lines of, like, you know, it was like that trope that you hear a lot. Well, why don't you care about black-on-black crime? And, you know, the response to that is not that people don't care about black-on-black crime. It's that when one black person kills another black person, the person who does the killing is held accountable in that they go to jail. But when Officer Bob kills a black person, Officer Bob is placed on administrative leave. He's almost never held accountable. That is the issue. That is why the Black Lives Matter movement started to begin with. And I think we don't do ourselves a uh, we do ourselves a disservice if we lose focus of that. So I think that we have to keep focus. I know Selena wanted to respond to that as well. No, I mean, uh, well said. Um, the only thing I could say moving forward is that's why we have to continue to fight protests and uh, make sure that our efforts are being equally dis- distributed, meaning that we need boots on the ground when it comes to the protests. We need to also elect officials who will advocate for us when it comes to our politics, and we need to run ourselves. But Moving on to another thing that has happened in politics that is depressing and pretty crazy and another what had happened was moment. So apparently, so let me just give you some context. Last week, we did a full uh, segment on DACA and the fact that last week, President Trump and his administration had announced that they were rescinding the program, leaving 800,000 undocumented young people um, basically leaving them up to be deported, even though they are degreed and employed and contributing greatly to our society economically and culturally. So now President Trump goes back and has a meeting uh, behind Republicans back with uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And after that meeting, Schumer and Pelosi are like, well, you know, we're working out a deal. It doesn't look like we are going to deport the dreamers. We may even we are pushing for a dream act and we may expand the program. So then Donald Trump the next day comes out and says something so ludicrous and contradictory. He's like, look, we're not pushing for amnesty. We're not pushing for citizenship, but we need to keep the dreamers here. And I was literally like, 
hold on. Does he not have a full understanding of what DACA is and the fact that they, they have legal status to stay here under work permits, but it's temporary? So if you're saying you need to keep them here, you're basically saying we need to push for citizenship. So which one is it? He also said that there was no deal and then proceeded to outline all the details of the deal between he, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer. But Donald Trump is about as smart as an old piece of... Never mind. Well, you know, nobody ever said that man was stable. But, you know, (laughs) speaking of all things Trump, I have a good story for you. Um, So the Trump International Beach Resort has requested that the government give them permission for them to hire more temporary foreign workers. So... If you're wondering where all your jobs went and you voted for Donald Trump, Donald Trump is giving those jobs to foreign guest workers because he doesn't want to give them to you. So if you haven't already burned your Make America Great Again hat on Twitter, now might be your chance to do so. And you can post that under hashtag burn my magic hat. Well, I don't think that they'll be burning anything or feeling much of a burn because if they're like Ted Cruz, they're doing it solo. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> earlier this That's week, good. thank you, thank you, Ted Cruz liked a, a, a porno on Twitter. Of threesome. A threesome porno on Twitter. I that had, had a, homosexuality in it. What was it? It was... was it, what was in it? It was from a, a, a Twitter page called um, Daily Sex Videos, I think it was. And after he liked it at 2 in the morning, the, the account tweeted at him and said, Thanks, Ted. And the video was pretty much like this. I can give you the details, guys. Because you've watched it. A little bit. So anyways, for research purposes, I watched it. So so you're researching. I'm into ebony. That's not my style. But anyways. Like that ebony and ivory. I'm ebony and Latin. Anyways, that's getting creepy. Anyway, so. (laughs) Yeah, nobody wants to know that. The stepmom, she was talking to her daughter. She goes, hey, honey, let's talk. The daughter, who was in her room, just reading in lingerie and full makeup, was like, no, mom. So the mom went to the supermarket and the girl's boyfriend came in. And the mom came back and saw the, the, her daughter and the boyfriend getting into it. The mom, who looks a lot like Heidi Cruz, Ted Cruz's wife, was hot and bothered. So she went in to see what was going on and got involved. Oh, wow. Yes. Ted Cruz is into some weird stuff. So then after I don't really think that's that weird. That's actually not weird. That's not weird in fart porn. Well, <laughs> let's not or, get into or, that, Stanley. Or that fish orgasm porn you sent us that was earlier that's not this porn. Week, Stanley. Okay, let's clarify. When two animals have sex in the wild, tell me that, fish didn't no. that is not pornography. That's just nature. That that's how things a, happen. That fish had a huge orgasm. I'll post the link to that fish orgasm on our Facebook Live page. It guys. was funny, but... All right. Wait, so. no, 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 wait. Before we, before I just want to address something that you were talking about, Stanley. Of course, and in terms of this Ted Cruz porn, which is here's the thing about the Ted Cruz porn. Nobody actually cares that Ted Cruz watches porn. The issue with Ted Cruz and the porn is the hypocrisy of it, because Ted Cruz has literally made a career out of basically trying to hold himself up as somebody who is so pious and church going and you know anti-gay because it's a sin and it's against the Bible or whatever other crap he wants to put in people's heads but then you catch him at two in the morning watching two girls getting it on so you know like listen ted cruz if you like to see two girls getting it on that's perfectly okay with me but you know like let's drop the anti-gay hypocritical shit because it's really not Ooh, sorry not getting you anywhere yeah but also you know for, for the record paul cruz paul cruz ted cruz tried to ban sex toys in texas did he yes he said nowhere in the constitution is sex toys protected well, I mean, oh. it's not. Well, speaking of... Thanks a lot, unless you're potty mouth pukes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, speaking I, of... I, I, my intention was to ish it, but, you know. Wash your mouth with some Ted Cruz <laughs> porn. <laughs> oh, God. Well, okay, guys, I don't even... I'm trying to think of a way to segue here. All right, so we know Ted Cruz watches porn. 
He sometimes supports Donald Trump. Sometimes he doesn't. Well, I want to talk about someone who has professed un uh, unlimited support okay? for Donald Trump. <laughs> no, I told y'all she's having segway. she's having a fish orgasm. No, not oh, at fish. all, guys. I told y'all I was trying to segue from that into this. Not okay, very so, well. <laughs> apparently, so a uh, Floyd Mayweather he has called uh, Donald Trump oh, a quote unquote a real man for he called Donald Trump a real man. Are you surprised? For grabbing. Women by the p word. Well, no, no, he, no. We're not. Floyd Mayweather is a on. garbage human being. Why hold are we on. doing this? He also said, uh, and this is a quote. I think within this world, racism still exists. You never heard anything about Donald Trump being racist until he ran for president and won. That is completely false. He also says um, that he also talks about grabbing women. Uh, himself, and that obviously it was just locker room talk. And then he says to black people, if you are so concerned about racism and other things in the world, you shouldn't be. Instead, you should be at home writing down your business plan, even though we're not sure he does that. He doesn't know how to read. Right. Are we, no, no, no. no yeah. You're not going to stop me, Selena. I'm sorry. <sighs> this is the same man who published his girlfriend's abortion record on Twitter. This is the same man who cannot read a complete sentence. This is a man who has been accused and even charged of domestic abuse at least three times. This is a man who doesn't understand the concept of a bank account and had to fight McGregor because he owed the U.S. government $30 million in back taxes. Floyd Mayweather is as garbage as it gets. Well, here's the thing. We say that now, but we were all watching that fight a few weeks ago. I streamed it. I didn't pay for it. As Stanley so admits to committing crimes exactly. on the radio. Hey. On that note. Selena <laughs> just threw a pen at me. God is working but, on all of us. Look, All right, guys. So we're wrapping it up. But I just want to say shout out to Amanda Seals because she was one of the few voices who, were, who was definitely criticizing May, uh, Mayweather while we were all praising him, myself included. But now the real Mayweather again rises and we see who he is as a person, not just as an athlete. On that note, we, we do need to take another break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we'll be talking about the Medicare for All bill right here and let your voice be heard. And black kids. <laughs> Yo, what is wrong with you, Selena? So, we Selena, are back. I'm Selena sorry, Selena. just Stanley. threw a pen at my face, guys. I did, Stanley. Selena just threw a pen at my face. I apologize, Stanley. I did just throw a pen at your face. We are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz, also here with Alyssa Fuchs. Um, guys, so we just wrapped up uh, the news roundup. Things got hot and heated. Earlier in the show, we talked about Hillary Clinton and how she explained what happened. Alyssa is bursting out in laughter. And now it's time for us to talk about the Medicare for All bill. Now, guys, healthcare is once again. Now, guys, healthcare is once again at the center of the U.S. political debate. Why? Well, Republicans have tried and failed miserably twice to repeal and replace Obamacare with Trump Care earlier this year, giving Democrats an opportunity basically to present our own ideas into how to improve the health care system. Now, how has this how did this happen? Last week, Bernie Sanders, he finally presented his much anticipated Medicare for all bill which is being poised as the boldest policy, a boldest proposal on uh, health care to date. 
since Donald Trump's election. Now, we do know that Bernie Sanders uh, has been presenting a Medicare for all or single payer or uh, universal health care, whatever you want to call it. He's been presenting these types of bills uh, since he's been in office. But this time around, it actually got some sponsorship. 16 other Democrats have signed onto the bill. And they're not just any Democrats. They're the ones who are thinking about running for election in 2020. That includes Kamala um, Harris, a Senator Bernie Sanders, excuse me, Senator Cory Booker, and Elizabeth Warren. So these are some pretty heavy players who are like, hey, Medicare for all doesn't sound so bad after all, Bernie. Let's co-sponsor. So how does Medicare for all work? Well, basically, it would cover Everything. Now, according to the bill summary, this coverage would include hospital services, which inc- which includes emergency services and inpatient drugs. It includes ambulatory patient services, primary and preventative services. That includes disease management, prescription drugs, medical devices, and biological products. It would also include mental health and substance abuse treatment services, And uh, it also includes a comprehensive reproductive services, maternity, newborn care, uh, oral health, vision. It's basically all encompassing. And let me explain to you how it would work. Now, uh, an aide to to Bernie Sanders, they actually did an interview with courts, and they explained it like this, and I quote, similar to the current Medicare coverage of those uh, for those over 65 years old and for people with disabilities, all would automatically be insured in a system financed by a tax-funded government trust fund. Unlike Medicare, which now provides four-tier coverage with different levels of deductibles and co-pays, this bill would simplify things. Enrollment would be automatic with uh, with coverage the same for everyone and typically without any co-pays. And again, that is from the interview the Bernie's, uh, the Bernie Sanders teams did with courts. So basically, this bill is drastically different from Obamacare, also known as the Affordable Care Act, because the Affordable Care Act is a system that works to make private health care insurance affordable, whereas Medicare for All replaces private insurers with a public insurance system. So it's pretty radical. And even people like, even people who are Democrats are saying, like, you know, it's a little, it, it goes it goes a little too radical for some people. I, I know uh, Nancy Pelosi in particular, she said, you know, I'd rather work to save Obamacare rather than to completely disrupt the system and impose something like this. So there is a, a lot of information about the bill uh, that has come out. We know that Stanley personally, in his job, uh, for his work, he works on health care. So he knows a lot about the bill. And Alyssa has brought up Medicare Universal Healthcare for a while now as well on this show. So we're going to have a full comprehensive discussion about Medicare for All, what this bill would do. Is it Can it actually work? Is it feasible? And what was our initial reaction to it? So I'll start with you, Alyssa. What are your thoughts on the Medicare for All bill? I mean, listen, I think it's a good bill. Um, I I think it is feasible. I think it it can work. I think it does work in other countries. Um, I actually lived in England, a place where it works very well. Um, That said, 
I do think uh, two things. Number one, right now this proposal is light on actual policy and light on details about how it's going to work. Uh, we are going to need to see the details. So we're going to want to see, uh, at least for me, because I like to you know, base things on facts and not on feelings, uh, the CBO analysis about how much it's going to cost. I'm going to want an accounting of how we're going to pay for it and how it's going to work. Um, th- those are all things that I think can come as we proceed. Um, but I do think that, you know, in theory, it's a very good idea. I think it's worked before in other places. But without getting a full accounting of how it's going to work here and how we're going to pay for it, um, I can't say that I can make a final decision about whether or not I like what I see. Um, That said, in theory, I very much am in favor for a Medicare for All plan, and I think it's quite ridiculous that we don't have one. Um, In terms of whether or not it gets done, I really do believe that it's all being put forth as a posturing going into 2018 and 2020 as a litmus test for Democrats and for people on the left, because if Democrats think this is going to get passed right now while Republicans control the House and the Senate and the presidency... Uh, they're bugging. Well, you- before, hold that thought. Uh, before we go any further, guys, um, I want to just give everyone a chance to call in, chime in into the Sanders Medicare for All bill. You can call us up. The number is 212-650-6903. And now something Alyssa said that was important. She said, you know, I can't say that I'm 100% supportive or for this bill until the details come out. We support the theory of universal health care. But, Stanley, are you in support of this bill in particular? So, you know what this bill reminds me of? Everybody has that, that one bad homegirl that she posts on Facebook, and then one day she posts that she broke up with her boyfriend, and, you know, I'm tired of being cheated on and disrespected. And then all the dudes will post in the comments like, yo, I would never do that to you. I would never do you wrong because they're trying to look good in front of her. But in practice, they'd probably be just as trash, if not worse. This is what these Democrats are doing right now with this bill that has literally no real policy behind it. I am super for universal health care in theory, but in practice, I need to see some policy. How are we going to pay for it? How do you explain that you have something that's literally illegal in the bill? The, the United States government cannot pay for abortions. So, like, that's in the bill that's going to uh, cover abortions. That's only from an internal bill that has already been passed. So, in theory, at least arguably, you can repeal a former law with a new law. And so this new bill could in change that. In Just theory. That's the in intention. Theory. Yeah. So like I want to know I want to understand that. I want to understand where we're getting the money from. I want to I want to understand how this addresses the fact that hospitals are over are, are gouge pricing people and hospitals are not held accountable for how much they charge people or why. And I want to understand Not just the hospitals, the drug prices. Yeah, that's that's what I was actually going to next. I want to understand what this does to address drug prices because we can get universal health care, but the cost of health care in America has will not change. Well, well from my understanding and obviously you guys can chime in Bernie Sanders is saying he would pay for this bill by raising taxes on the rich in particular, but all of our taxes would go up. Mm-hmm. But in return, we would be saving so much more money when it comes to health care costs. And we also wouldn't have to rely on our employers to give us health care because the government will be giving everyone health care. So, you know, I mean, what's wrong with that? So, in theory, once again, nothing's wrong with it. Just really quickly, because I know Alyssa had something to say. In Bernie's plan during the primaries, Working class people's taxes will go up by four thousand dollars. I can't afford that. 
Alyssa? Right. I mean, but here's the thing. This is what you have to understand about it. And this is this is where the myth comes into play, which is, yes, your taxes may go up, you know, but if you look at how much money you spend on health care per year. Right. And that's really what what has to really be looked at, because it's not just a matter of taxes going up. It's also a matter of offset. Right. So right now, for example, I'll use myself as, as an example. My premiums, I pay the full amount. I'm not eligible for a subsidy because I make too much money. So I pay on a gold level plan five hundred and thirty six dollars a month, every month for 12 months. Do the math, right? Then I also pay, I have a $600 deductible. So the first $600 of my care comes out of pocket. I have $25 co-pays for every primary care visit that I do, whether it's physical health or mental health, and a $40 copay for every specialist that I see. On top of that, I have a $10 copay every time I want to go fill a prescription. And that's for each individual prescription. It's not just if I want to go five, fill five prescriptions today, I pay $10 for all five of them. No, I pay 10 for each of them. So that's $50. So when you start adding up all the health care costs and you also start taking into account the fact that people don't go to the doctor sometimes and don't get treatment they otherwise need because they don't want to get hit with a copay or paying a deductible, then what you might find is that you are spending more than $4,000 a year on your own health care. And so this is what I think gets lost in this conversation about single payer, which is not always the case going to be the case for everybody. It may be the case for some people that their taxes are going to go up more than what they are currently spending for health care. And they're not going to be happy about it. But at least what we find when we look at most countries like England, like France, like Germany, like other places that, you know, most of the first world countries in this world that have universal health care, we find that, yes, your taxes go up, but that tax increase is offset by the fact of, of savings in that you're not spending that money for your own care. Everything is cl- included, and there's one single payer, the government. So I think that's a big thing that we're going to that's why I want to see the numbers because until I see how this is actually going to play out I don't know whether or not it's actually going to cost me more money or whether it's going to save me more money and I suspect it's probably going to save me money in the long run so it it sounds like an all-inclusive vacation would you rather pay something all up front and make sure that you get everything included or would you rather pay things incrementally? And to Alyssa's point, I'm one of those people who walked out of a doctor's office because I couldn't afford the copay. Again, I was I had Obamacare while I was freelancing. Now that I'm fully employed and I'm using my uh, employer's health insurance, they I went to the same doctor and they were like, "Oh, this is how you have to pay two hundred dollars on the spot." And I'm like, "I don't have it," was and I walked out. Work? I mean, it, might it, was in, a, it was in. It was in. No, it was. Yeah. It was in network, but really it was a specialist. It was a specialist. That's it, was a, it was a. It was a dermatologist. Well, I mean, but this is the impact that capitalism has on our care, which is, right. uh, you know, like that. That like when we have right. a profit motive that drives the healthcare system, then this is exactly what happened. Right. Uh, and, I mean, yeah. And, and I want to get Stanley's thoughts on this because Alyssa made a great point about paying for costs up front, whereas you're saying you can't even afford and you can't afford to pay extra money from your taxes. Yeah, I don't pay my job covers my insurance i don't i don't have any monthly payments my co-pay is 25 dollars oh um, lucky you yeah and the way that could play out so, arguably is that like your job could pick up those taxes just to respond yes yeah, so like this is so this i mean i could have better dental and vision but that's another conversation but the point is however with that good insurance i don't have a great salary so four thousand dollars extra a year in taxes no matter how you cut it i am going to feel mm. so 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 stanley would you say that Medicare for All, single payer, universal health care, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is something not only feasible, but it's something that the American people want? Because I think that when they hear automatically government is going to be taking care of health care, taxes going up, 
I mean, we can want this theoretically, but once we actually get some ground on this, I think Americans are going to, I don't think they're going to be as receptive towards it. So I think they can be receptive to it. I think Alyssa is a thousand percent right. We have to see, the, like, let's see the, let's see the, the raw numbers, how we're going to pay for it, what does it look like, what's the rollout like, because that is important. And people who say that government running things doesn't make sense, they're ridiculous because the government runs the country. And we, and unless, tr before Trump, we were doing a halfway decent job at being the superpower of the world. So I'm not really worried about that. Government runs a lot of things. So... That's, that's the false equivalent for me. Go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah, no, I wanted to address that. So basically, people's big thing about the government running thing is that the government is, basically people argue that the government is incompetent, that the government can't run anything well. Um, libertarians make this argument a lot. They'll point to, for example, the VA, and they'll say, look at the VA. You know, the, the government's totally screwed the VA up. Sure. And they'll make the argument that if we privatize it, a private company will be able to run it better because they're looking to make a profit. And of course, the profit motive will drive them to reduce costs and, you know, make the system run more efficiently. But when you actually look at Medicare and at Medicaid, they are literally two of the best, most well-run programs in this country that have the most popular support. So I don't know if that concern still is there. Stanley? So, Alyssa, I just want to jump in for a second. And then also the VA, the whole point of the VA is to be socialized medicine for veterans. You privatize it, that, that's not the case anymore. Also, the VA is grossly underfunded and kudos in agreeing with what you just said about the, um, Medicare and Medicaid. Right, so guys, again, if you want to chime in, the number is 212-650-6903. Tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. You can continue to leave us comments on our Facebook Live. We are going to go on a quick little break, but don't go anywhere because we're going to continue this conversation about Medicare for All and how the U.S. is going to continue to pay for health insurance. I mean, we're spending $3.2 trillion on health care. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice. Be heard. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Selena is in prison for assault, so I'll be doing the segment from moving forward. No more Cardi B for me. another black woman in prison over here? That's right. That's right. Look, I'm going to lay off the Cardi B. We know that she makes female gangster music. That is sexist. That is sexist. She says it. The name of her mixtape is like Gangster B. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, but you're not Gangster B, okay? Exactly. So I'm going to lay off. The last I checked, you go to church on Wednesday. Right? On a Wednesday. Cardi B is up in the club on a Wednesday. Wednesday. You up in the pews on a Wednesday. You know that how they true. start her service? Yer, yo, what's popping? All right, Jesus, guys. we love you, my guy. <laughs> All right, guys, so we are back. Praise this be is, the Lord. Oh, my God. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. Alyssa's cracking herself up. Um, I'm here with Stanley Fritz, who was assaulted earlier. Mm -hmm. Pop, pop, pop. Bye. <laughs> yo. I don't know. Was it me or Alyssa? Bible. <laughs> By the Bible. Um, I apologize yes. again mm -hmm. for assaulting Stanley. Uh, we are back. And admitting to it. Right. <laughs> and admitting on this air. This going to be an easy lawsuit, Alyssa. <laughs> you know, it's just, the cops are going to come down here and arrest her at the end of the show. They're plotting on how they so can. Last week she butchered me. someone's last name. This week she assaults me. <laughs> I'm only getting worse, guys. I'm telling you, no more Cardi B. I can barely speak now. But anyway, and not to shout out to Cardi because I still love her. So before we went on break, we were talking about Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill. Just to get you guys up to speed, Bernie has been pushing for single-payer universal health care since he has been in Congress. That has been decades. Uh, he, he did introduce some legislation last week. 15, 16 top Democrats have signed on. Apparently, they don't know the details in the bill either, but they're all for it. We are hearing a lot of pushback, of course, uh, Republicans, uh, conservatives, and libertarians. 
people are saying, I don't want the government infringing on my health care or my freedom, which is ironic and almost laughable because Americans on a whole all appreciate and love Medicare and Medicaid. So when Bernie Sanders is like, hey, everyone loves it. Let's just expand it. They're like, oh, no. You're not going to take over my doctor office. Well, you know, I can I can almost uh, I mean, I'm speculating here a little bit, but I could almost guarantee that if we went to sort of a Medicare or, you know, Medicaid for all kind of plan with the ability for people to opt out if they didn't want it. Right. Basically, you'd be in, but then you could opt out and decide you wanted to buy your own private health insurance. I could almost guarantee that most of these people that complain about socialism and freedom and all these things. I mean, like within three years, they would want to opt back in. Mm -hmm. You know, I would put money on. On it. But just to address this idea of freedom, um, you know, I- I'm going to actually use a line from the newsroom because it's so good. He says, America is so star spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who has freedom. And he's asking a question. And then he goes on to say, Canada has freedom. As an aside, Canada has socialized health care. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. There are 207 sovereign states in the world and 180 of them have freedom. But the reason why I bring these up is because part of the people on that list that I just mentioned, Canada, the UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, all of and Australia, all of those countries have single-payer socialized health care. All of those countries have lower health costs. All of those countries have near-universal coverage. All of those countries, their health care programs are respected and renowned and well-loved. If you ask most people in the UK if they like the NHS, they will tell you, yes, I have a personal experience with the NHS that I can tell you is great. And at the end of the day, government is not the impediment in any of those places. People like the fact that the government run it. It saves them money. It costs them less. There's no death panels. There's no long lines. There's none of these concerns that people constantly bring up when they talk about these issues. And so we have to be really careful when we discuss these issues to, one, recognize that there are rational arguments to be made against single-payer health care, but, two, to also recognize when somebody is making an irrational argument and to call them out on it. And, guys, if you want to jump into the conversation, our number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Selena has a sniffles. If we had universal health care, she would not have them anymore. Yes, she actually would probably. So, guys, one of the things you should be thinking about when we're talking about universal health care is that right now America is the most expensive place per person for, for like, for, med- for health care. So right now it's about $9,900 per person for health care. Meanwhile, in the U.K., it's $4,000 per person and they have universal health care but i agree with Alyssa. if we had a system where people could either be in the public option for health care or go get private we'd be a lot better off selena well stanley i'm so glad that you brought up those figures i have some others health care spending in the u.s is astronomical i mentioned this before we went to the break uh, according to statistics in 2015 the u.s spent 3.2 trillion dollars that's trillion with a t on health care that represents 17.8 percent of the gdp and if we keep Keep going at this rate by 2017. The U.S. is projected to spend over 20 percent of the GDP just on health care. In exa- um, example, Stanley also gave us some great statistics on how much health care spending is equated to per capita. Uh, you And I just wanted to add in Spain. They're spending about thirty two hundred dollars per person. Mm-hmm. Korea, twenty seven hundred dollars per person. The U.S. is at over $9,000, nearly $10,000 per person. But we're supposed to be the, sh- the superpower. So basically, so my question is, 
regardless of the anti-healthcare propaganda we hear on the right or from libertarians, the question I have is, can we afford not to fix the system? Because it looks like we're going to be heading downhill regardless. Yeah, and one of the things we should be thinking about when you're thinking about universal health care is when people go to the hospital and they can't pay those bills, that comes out of our taxes anyway. Right. So and, and so what I want to know and when we're thinking about this bill is how much money would it save us with those people if we actually got universal health care? How much of that like how much of an increase will we see in our taxes day to day? What does that mean for the private insurance industry? Are we just destroying that entire industry and saying that it doesn't need to exist anymore? Because, like, those are some of the things that I'm thinking about, and, like, those are some of the challenges I think some people would have. I know in Bernie's plan, it'd be phased in over four years, so starting off with 55-year-olds, then the next year moving to, 30, I think, 45-year-olds, and so on and so forth. Which even that, I mean, would need to be tweaked a little bit, because I'm sure you have younger people that, uh, you know, there have to be basically a provision that says if you're sick, uh, then you could be included into this plan sooner, even if you don't fall into the... Uh, the age categories, although I feel like that would already be the case because most people um, that are, you know, in a position where they are chronically sick that get Medicare or get, you know, SSI disability, um, they are able to access some of those benefits. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we are the only first world country that does not have some kind of universal health care system. And I think part of this has to do with the fact that we have fear over facts, which is constantly we have people on the right pushing a narrative um, that doesn't take into account the actual facts. And listen, I will be the first one to admit that something that works in England isn't necessarily going to work here the way exactly it works there because we have a larger population. We are going to, there's not a one-size-fits-all single-player plan. We are going to have to come up with an American single-player plan that is going to work for us. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, I think a lot of these concerns that people always have They come not from a place of fact, but from a place of fear, because almost all of the arguments that could be made against universal health care can be responded to with a counter argument in favor of universal health care that is based in fact. Stanley? Yeah. And the point that I want to get to is like you got to talk about where that fear is coming from. That fear is coming from the super rich, the millionaires and billionaires and the insurance people in the insurance industry who benefit off of people being afraid of universal health care and sticking to them. This way they can continue to gouge them in prices. This way they can keep on making billions and billions of dollars. And because they know that if we get universal health care, that they'd be dead in the water, they pump money into the pockets of congressmen to make them stick to the agenda. Absolutely, guys. But, you know, with all this talk about putting people over profits and the fear over facts, let's talk about the facts. Can single-payer actually work? It has failed in the past in other states, and but we know that when we look at other countries, it is successful. Why does it feel like, Stanley, it can't work here in the United States? In Vermont, it was too expensive. In California, I'm not very familiar with the bill, but I do know that this, the House Speaker there killed the bill because insurance companies were in his pockets. And usually what happens is it's an issue of how we pay for it or it's an issue of corporate billionaires, millionaires, and insurance brokers influencing the conversation. So that's what happened. We're trying to do it in New York State as well. But what right? happened in Vermont? In Vermont, it was so expensive, they couldn't find a way to pay for it that wouldn't include, like, drastically raising everyone's taxes, which right. is the point but, that I was But Bernie to. is from Vermont. Exactly. Right, but here's so the thing like, about... No, no, but the thing is, I'm, I'm trying to say is, 
So Bernie couldn't even implement it in his own state, but he wants to implement it in the whole country? I'll let's get that. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You have to remember, Vermont is a really small country, and there's not they don't have a huge, sorry, Vermont is a really small state, and they don't have a huge population, and they don't necessarily have a huge population of people that make over $500,000 or over $250,000 a year. And so that's why it becomes an issue in terms of funding when you're talking about just looking at a state as an individual. But when you look at the whole country... And you then start to take into account the whole country and you say like, okay, well, we're going to have a progressive tax and that your taxes are going to go up. But the more they're going to go up more depending on more money you make. Right. That's the very definition of a progressive tax. Then when you're looking at the country as a whole and not just a small state like Vermont, you're realizing you're looking at all the taxpayers, not just the taxpayers in Vermont. So it's not really fair. I mean, Vermont is not a microcosm um, for this kind of proposal. California is a better microcosm for this kind of proposal because yeah. California has a greater disparity of people that are at the poverty line, but also people are at the top. The reason why Stanley said it didn't really pan out in California had to do with lobbyists. You had a large amount of people that work in the healthcare industry that were pu- putting a lot of money into defeating this kind of thing. Why? Because it would affect their bottom line. Um, and so there's a lot of players and there's a lot of influence in this. And, you know, when we have money in politics and we have politicians that are trying to get elected and reelected that are taking money um, that they need in order to survive in a campaign and then, you know, doing favors or, you know, deciding that they're not going to support legislation that would impact the bottom line of the very people that are giving them money, uh, that comes into play as well. Um, so there, you know, I, I don't think we can look at one or two individual states and say that that is an example of why this wouldn't necessarily work here. I think a better example of what we can look at to how this can work in a large country with lots and lots of people is Canada because Canada isn't England. Canada isn't France. Canada has a large population over a large span of area like we do. And yes, it's not as large as we are, um, but Canada has been able to find a way to make it work and make it work efficiently. And so I think if we want to look to somewhere for our model, that's really where we have to look. So uh, thank you, Alyssa. So the question I have is, do you foresee single payer or Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it, happening in our lifetime, Stanley? If we can, it can, but we need two things, three things to happen. Republicans need to be kicked out of House and Senate. We have to pass campaign finance reform, and you need the kind of leader that, like, has a vision to push it through. I don't necessarily think Bernie Sanders is, is that person, but I think you need someone of that ilk. But you need campaign finance reform because the reason the super rich have so much power to influence the laws that we pass is because they have the power of the purse. And if you do campaign finance reform and you you even the playing field for running for office, you don't have that pressure on you anymore. Alyssa, now this is a question I have for you. Do you foresee a single payer health care? Not just I get what Stanley's saying when it comes to politics, but when it comes to like policy, fiscally, like knowing the details of it, can this actually work out as successfully here in the States as it has in Canada? I absolutely think it can, um, but I think it's going to take smart people coming together from not just politicians, but from the public, from the healthcare sector, from many places trying to sit down and pan this out. That said, um, I personally think that the reason why Democrats are pushing it this year is more of a political ploy than it is an actual policy perspective. Yep, 100%. Um, because the way that Democrats are currently situated um, in the House, in the Senate, and in the 
uh, you know, the executive branch is that they basically have no power. So right now, I don't think this is a realistic proposal, not necessarily in terms of policy, but I do think that there are policy things that need to be worked out. But in terms of politics, that does not mean that I don't support it. I think that we should all support it and that we should put pressure on Democrats who don't come out in favor of it. But at the same time, I think we all need to recognize that this is a posturing that Democrats are doing to set up for the 2018 midterms, for the 2020 election as a litmus test to see who's going to support this kind of proposal and who is not so that they can use that in terms of campaigning. This is not a proposal that Democrats are putting forth right now because they're trying to actually get it done right this second. That does not mean that it couldn't happen in the future, but I don't think we should get our hopes up for this happening anytime in the next four years. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I just think that's the reality of it. Right. And guys, just really quickly, I know we're wrapping this up. There's another thing that I mentioned earlier, and I just want to get you guys perspective on it, like 10 seconds or less. Why not just what about the people who think practically who say, why not just support saving Obamacare? Why go all the way to the left and do something as radical as uplifting our health care system, trying to promote universal health care? It's you know, you could. But if you're going to save Obamacare, then you need to address the cost of medicine, the cost of hospitals, and you have to rely on these insurance companies. And I don't think there's enough, like, there's just not enough political wherewithal muscle for that right now. Well, I mean, in, in terms of that, I don't, when it comes to saving Obamacare, here's the thing. Republicans and Donald Trump have been effectively destroying Obamacare and making it seem like it's not working. Obamacare actually works. It may not be my preferred preference. I would like a single-payer system, and I do think one can work. Um, but at the same time, I do think that is important that we do work on saving Obamacare right now, at least while we are looking forward to the future on how we may potentially get universal health care. Because if Obamacare fails right now, then you're going to have major, major problems that you need to deal with right now, and that's going to be making it even harder for you to get universal health care in the future. So I think that it's important for every single Democrat or independent or even Republican that may support a single-payer system for them to still be in favor of shoring up Obamacare at the same time and using that as a bridge to where we would like to be in the future because I don't think skipping over it and just wanting it to fail is really going to get us where we're going to get. Instead, I think that would be uh, actually blow back in the Democrats' face, and I think Republicans would turn around and say, hey, look, Obamacare failed, so now universal health care is going to fail too. We should go back to that broken system that we used to have before that just free market capitalist system which I don't think works either and I don't think that we should give Republicans the space to be able to make that argument by ignoring Obamacare in favor of universal health care it has to be an incremental approach as far as I'm concerned thank you for that guys and I just want to wrap up this segment by saying this the United States pays by far the highest prices for prescription drugs than any other country per capita the united that's uh, more than double what denmark pays the netherlands uh united kingdom when it comes to prescription drugs per capita for example denmark they pay about 342 dollars the netherlands 417 United States, $1,162, more than double. It is completely outrageous. Yay, but capitalism. The, right. But the reason why we are paying so much more for prescription drugs that we need in order to be healthy and even to stay alive is because there isn't a profit incentive in our healthcare system. If we remove the pharmaceuticals, which have entire lobbyist groups to try to make sure – 
that their bottom line is always increased. If we get these people, if we get the money out of our government and out of our healthcare system, then we can actually have something that's fair and balanced. And you know what? The government would have no profit incentive. And I think that's the reason why Bernie Sanders and other logical thinking people are trying to push for something that sounds radical, that sounds like it's all the way to the left, but it's really not. We've named other countries that are doing this very successfully and it's about time the u.s gets on board and stop putting people over profits on that note guys i am going to we do have to take a quick break when we come back Alyssa will come back with the quickie don't go anywhere and we are back. Uh, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm coming at you with your quickie. And I'm here to tell you about a new bill that has been proposed uh, in Congress that would thwart the Americans with Disabilities Act. But before I get there, I want to tell you a little story. Uh, so back when I was in law school, um, and that was, I graduated in 2012. I started law school in 2009. I think this was second year, so I want to say it was around 2010. Um, I was with a group of my friends, and we decided that we wanted to go get a few drinks after class um, at a bar in the village. And one of my friends who was I was with in this group is blind, and she uses a seeing eye dog uh, to get around. And so after school ended and classes ended, we walked up to the bar. And when we got to the bar um, and uh, we went to go get in the bar and they told her that she was not allowed to come in the bar with the dog. Um, and of course, she looked at them like they were crazy and was like, what do you mean I'm not allowed to come in the bar with the dog? This is a seeing eye dog. I am blind. This is my, you know, this is my seeing eye animal. And I am absolutely allowed to bring this dog into the bar. This is one of the exceptions to the rules about no animals in establishments that serve food, which is you can always have a seeing eye dog um, in one of those establishments. And the bar basically told her, absolutely not. You're not coming in the bar. We're not allowing the animal in the bar if you want to come in the bar then you can you know chain your animal up outside the bar and leave him there or make one of your friends stand outside the bar and watch the dog um or just you can't just you just can't come in our bar because we're not letting you in the in the bar with the dog uh and there was some back and forth exchange and eventually we all decided that we should go to another bar and so we did and we went to another bar and the second bar we went to had no issue and they let my friend in with the seeing eye dog without a problem um, so why am I telling you this story? And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because this is a perfect example of how disabled people sometimes are not able to access the places where us as non-disabled people are able to access. Sometimes it's about not being able to enter an establishment with a seeing eye animal. In other times, it's that the establishment has a single step, which makes it almost impossible or impossible for somebody with a wheelchair to be able to get into that establishment. Or the establishment has a ramp so that somebody with a wheelchair can get into the establishment, but they do not have a bathroom inside the establishment that is compliant for somebody who has a wheelchair. And so now the person is in the establishment, but they cannot go to the bathroom because the bathroom in the establishment is too small to accommodate their wheelchair. Um, and so the reason I bring all this up is because the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, which has been around for a long time, has helped people with disabilities directly combat these types of access issues by allowing them to sue these businesses uh, in order to get them to comply with the Dis Americans with Disabilities Act and uh, and give them access to these spaces. In fact, being able to bring these lawsuits is the number one driver of these establishments making changes in order to become compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And in fact, if 
people could not bring these lawsuits against these people, then it is probably highly likely these establishments would not change what they are doing and would not become compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act because they would not want to spend the money to do so. Now, this new bill in Congress is very, very concerning. And the reason why we must stop this bill from ever becoming law is because it would make it much more difficult for people to bring lawsuits when they have been discriminated against um, because it would place additional legal barriers in the way of disabled people uh, when they have been discriminated against. So now this law, uh, which, by the way, has bipartisan support from people on both sides of the aisle who have been influenced by big business owners who have given them money, which gets back to Stanley's point in the last segment about campaign finance reform. Um, And they have proposed this bill called H.R. 620, which is known as the ADA Education and Reform Act of 2017. Now, the Americans with Disabilities Act is the most comprehensive and foundational civil rights law that prohibits discrimination on the basis of disability. But people with disabilities, as I mentioned during my intro, still face enormous barriers. They find themselves routinely blocked from places that they have everyday interactions due to existing This is places like grocery stores, movies, bathrooms at restaurants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Title III of the Americans with Disability Act creates a proactive duty on the part of businesses to remove any barriers and other obstacles that impedes people's access to the establishment. But businesses have resisted making these changes for decades, and the way that people would enforce the law would be to sue them. What H.R. 620 would do would completely change the way in which a business is required to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Instead of requiring that a business comply proactively, this bill would place the burden on an individual who is being denied access. The bill proposes that after an individual with a disability is denied access, she must first notify the business owner or he must first notify the business owner with exacting specificity that his, her, or their civil rights were violated. And then that person must wait six months to see if the business is going to make quote unquote substantial progress toward access before that person can go to court and sue them to comply. Business owners can spend years in and out of compliance and face no penalty even after they receive this notice so long as their owners claim that they are working towards making substantial progress. And by allowing these businesses an endless amount of time to become compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act reasonable requirements, H.R. 620 would remove any incentive that these businesses would have to proactively ensure that people with disabilities have access. Basically, what this bill would do is encourage businesses to wait until they violate people's rights before they make any changes. Those who support this bill are particularly business groups. They argue that this bill only makes minor non-controversial changes with the, to the Americans with Disabilities Act. But this argument is complete BS um, because this essentially would ignore the fact that it shifts the burden to disabled people to argue that their rights are now being enforced. When Congress passed the Civil Rights Act, it included a provision that made if you were denied public accommodation based on your race, your color, your religion, your national origin, that you would be able to seek immediate relief. The Americans with Disabilities Act is specifically modeled upon the Civil Rights Act. And by implementing this change, it would basically be saying that 
people with disabilities are not treated the same as those uh, that have the protections based on race, color, religion, or national argument uh, origin. Now, even if you're not disabled, you should care about this law because I guarantee you that you know somebody that is disabled. In fact, not only is my friend who I told the story about disabled, my mother's brother, my uncle, is also disabled. And so... I can guarantee that even if you don't know somebody directly, you probably know somebody that's disabled or you know somebody that knows somebody that is disabled. Businesses have had enough time and enough notification to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Law because it has been in effect for so long. This is just an excuse that because businesses don't want to pay money. This is coming up for a vote this week. You need to get on the phone with your representatives. This is your call to action. You have the ability to make a change. I don't care if you're not disabled. I don't care if you don't personally know anybody that's disabled. If you care about people with disabilities, then get on the phone and call your representatives and tell them this is wrong. All right. And on that note, uh, thank you, Alyssa, for explaining how and why Congress wants to gut the Americans with Disabilities Act and what we can all do to stand up for our brothers and sisters with disabilities. We also want to thank everyone who listened in to Let Your Voice Be Heard today, who chimed in on Facebook Live or called into the show. We appreciate your feedback and comments. And if you want to keep us alive, you can send us a nice small little donation on Patreon or on GoFundMe at GoFundMe.com slash Be Heard Mission, Be Heard Radio. Um, also, check us out on our website, LYVBH.com, and on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio at Let Your Voice Be Heard. Thanks, guys. Happy Sunday, and we'll see you again next weekend. All set. Woo, woo.